As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Before we jump in, I want to tell you about New York Times Audio, the new iOS app for New York Times news subscribers. It's got our show, plus other great podcasts from The Athletic, exclusive shows, narrated articles, and more. New York Times Audio. Download it now at newyorktimes.com slash audio app. Here we go. It is the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show back in the chair. It's Ian Mendes with you. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've been here. Uh, And I got to tell you, Sean, uh, I realize now the last time you and I did a show together uh, was a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It was the week I think I interviewed Snoop Dogg. And I think it was the first time that I ever swore. People were so excited about that. Well, and then I got more positive feedback than uh, on anything else we've ever done. Yeah. And then I'm wondering, did people think that I got suspended from the pod for a couple of weeks from swearing, (laughs) dropping the F-bomb? But no, no, not the guy. I was away for a little bit, which we could touch on. We got a lot to get to as we're kicking off the, uh, the conference final here. So, but anyway, great to be back. 
Great to be back with you on the Thursday show. Hey, I got and I got yeah. a quick question for you. Yeah, I, I, I'm just going to throw this out as a as is since you're the senator's beat guy, and I'm I'm a no one Maple Leafs fan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, when uh, noted uh, power broker and super agent Alan Walsh tweeted uh, that the Coyotes should become the second team in Ontario. Which one of us should be insulted by that? Uh, did you did you see that Ottawa. his tweet? Yeah. He, he well, put this out. He said, I, we need a second that. team in Ontario. Who? Yeah, and I, I think he just meant a second team in the GTA, right? Like, I, I, like, I don't know, man. It's... That, I, that felt I, I like I took offense I, to that as the guy who covers yeah, Ottawa. I, okay. Unless did he does he think that Ottawa is in Quebec? Uh I, I can't I can't imagine. I'm pretty sure he just forgot, but I just feel like that was, you know, it was one of those where like, you know, two people are sitting there going, like, okay, one of us has got to feel insulted but, here. But, but why or would maybe you both. Feel it, maybe he's like, maybe he's suggesting, well, I mean, the Maple Leafs just lost in the playoffs. Maybe it's a dig at them saying, like, no, hey, let's see no, what we no, got this, no. the mighty senators. Or is he saying that like if you combine the Senators and the Maple Leafs right now, There's you've got team. yourself one NHL team, and then we bring a second one in. Is that maybe where he was going? Like, I saw it, and I thought, I think he just meant the GTA. I think he meant Toronto. Bad news for Thunder Bay. Sorry, guys. That's right. That, you're not t- you were thinking, you were putting that bid together. <laughs> yeah, the Thunder Bay bid. Uh, listen, let me, let me just walk our listeners through something real quick, which I think you will be entertained by which was uh, my trip to Europe, which uh, I went over to cover a little bit of Team Canada at the Worlds, like in their training camp in Budapest, which was fantastic, by the way. I'd never been there, loved it, beautiful city, all that. But, and by the way, I have a story up today. I caught up with Justin Pogge while yes. I was over there. I and saw that. Justin uh, kind of is moving into a new role as a uh, goalie coach and is hanging up the pads and Anyway, great conversation with him. And then I thought to myself, is this maybe my new niche? Do I need to maybe be writing feel-good profiles on ex-Maple Leafs? Like, what if that was my jam? Somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Maybe it should be me. Anyway, a lot of fun. Great guy, Justin Pogge. Uh, I went over to Germany for a couple of days to spend time with Tim Stutzler, which was amazing. Like, went to his childhood home, uh, went for lunch with him and his mom. Hung out for basically, I, I had like seven hours with him and was fantastic. So I'm excited to put that feature together. And then I pitched to the editors, the editorial team, just before my trip. Because you know what? As you've seen, the rosters for the world championships itself are pretty thin. And I thought, I can't really, I don't think we, there's an appetite for people to read about Team USA, Team Canada, when, when the, the rosters are, are, they're not great, right? Can we be honest here? Can we? Yep. Like, there, like, there's. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm never really a big World Championships fan, but this year especially, there. Yeah. yeah. So I said, "What if on my way home from Germany and vi- visiting Tim Stutzler, why don't I just stop in Wrexham, which is the town in in the UK in Wales, great where idea. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney have really transformed a soccer club into what could go wrong? What could go wrong? So I land in Wrexham, uh, I guess exactly a week ago. It was Thursday. I, I flew to Manchester from, from Dusseldorf to Manchester, take a train down. I get into Wrexham. I kind of walk around the town. What a great town. People are friendly. 
kind of tell a couple of people, hey, I'm, I'm here to do this story. They're like, oh, you should talk to this person, that person, whatever. Have a great meal. And then my phone buzzes. Then it buzzes again. And there's a text from my editor back in, uh, in North America. And it's Emily Kaplan from mm-hmm. ESPN with the story that Ryan Reynolds is no longer proceeding with his bid for the Ottawa Senators. Like of all the, t- of all the places to be in the mm-hmm. world, imagine yeah. showing up in Wrexham on the day that Ryan Reynolds pulls out. Like the timing, like it, I can't think of a worse, like is there anything that's been worse timing wise that you could that, think that of? That was, a- yeah, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty rough. And, and by the way, I got to say, I'm disappointed to find out that he, Ryan Reynolds didn't notify you directly. Like, I mean, you think you did at least he'd shoot you a text. You guys are buddies and everything. Well, like, I mean, there's the, gotta be the best of friends. Um, but I, I will say this. He did know I was going to Wrexham. I'll say yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I have traded notes with him since, but I, I don't, again, I feel like the conversations I've had with him, I've been sort of under the kind of let's you know not not for publication type of thing did did but, he oh, intentionally oh, wait until you yeah, were what, out of out of Ottawa? exactly he set you up exactly this whole thing was a setup happened. he's like yeah. let's get him to wreck and then we'll drop the bomb while he's not here and we don't have to uh we don't have yeah. to worry about him is it help me out here because i'm looking at this story and i'm sitting here going okay this feels to me like you know to to put this in in terms that Ryan Reynolds would be familiar with. This is like watching a movie. It's like watching a superhero movie and the superhero dies and you go, oh no. And everyone's sad and crying. And then you look at your watch. You're like, we're half an hour into this movie. This guy's coming back. Is Ryan Re- like, is Ryan Reynolds actually capital O out of this process or is he temporarily out and we're all setting up for the heroic return in, in a little bit with potentially some other group? But that he's still going to be involved at some point. You, you know what? And first of all, right, unfortunately, right now this feels like Green Lantern. Like if we're Ouch. if we're doing a Ryan Reynolds wow. superhero, Mendes throwing bombs here. here. Like yeah, wow, okay. Kind of feels like this isn't Deadpool. This feels a little Green Lanterny. All right, uh, for me, um, I feel like there's a less than five. Like I'll never say never. Like I haven't received word from anybody that it's definitively not going to happen. All caps. But I think it's really remote. And the reason why wow. I think that the odds are remote are I think he had a real distinct vision for how he wanted to execute this. And that's why he aligned, I think, with, with the Remington group. And now that they're out, I don't know that any of the remaining groups would allow him the space to do what he wanted to do. Now, the only thing I'll say is I think that there's going to be a lot of behind-the-scenes posturing this week. The only thing I could see would be, is there any way that Gary Bettman would go to one of these groups or two of these groups, try and marry them together and say, you can have this team on the condition that this guy is allowed to have a certain say in the marketing slash content production slash, because that was kind of his vision was Mm -hmm. specifically and community engagement. But I don't know if you're going to pay 900 million US or a billion US for a team. You want to have both hands on the steering wheel, right? Are you willing to let somebody yeah. have a hand? That's my only question. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I mean, and, and that's fair. It's, uh, you know, to me, I'm looking at this thinking, okay, if I'm some boring real estate guy or whoever who maybe wins this bid, which is going to be a, 
you know, it'll be a tough sell after we've, we've had Snoop Dogg, we've had Ryan Reynolds, has been this, all this star power. And then I just show up in my suit going, hey, everyone, yeah. I'm the Hello. new owner. It, to <laughs> me, would seem to make hey. sense to pick up the phone and say, hey, Ryan Reynolds, do you want to come and, you know, just be part of this? Just, you know, you you sit in the owner's box with us. You, you know, maybe you're not, uh, you know, a full investor, but we get you involved. We still figure out a way to do the documentary series and whatever else. Um, but it sounds like, you know, from what you're saying, maybe that's not something that he's interested in if it's if it's just purely going to be, I don't want to say a figurehead, but. Uh, you know, somebody who's who's just there as a as a marketing component. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Be interesting to see. I I still feel like, man, if those we we don't have Granger right now to set the odds for us, but if you're putting it at five percent, I feel like I'd uh, I feel like I'd take those odds because uh, you would. I, hey? I just yeah. I, I feel like he's on the way back at some point. Yeah, Granger's going to pop by. We're going to talk some some playoffs with with him. And by the way, for the for the the listeners that are interested in in the sale process, if you are. Uh, I got the feeling earlier this week that there would be an answer on who secured the bid and was given like conditional ownership of the team as early as today, like meaning Thursday. But as we've kind of moved in, now there's a little, it sounds like there's some hesitancy from people to say that they will know for sure. But I always felt like if there was going to be a bit of a delay, that maybe it was because there was some last minute wrangling kind of trying to marry some people together, that type of thing. So we'll see. I again, I never say never, but it, boy, it doesn't feel like that's going to happen. And okay. uh, uh, yeah, anyway, stranger things. Look, when I say stranger things have happened, I mean, Snoop Dogg is in on the senators. So let, yeah. let's just understand that where this process has taken us here. Uh, hey, you know what? This is probably a good segue into uh, real quick for us. Cause I know the Wednesday pods talked about it. Uh, it's been the talk of the hockey world. What's happened in Arizona here. Uh, you're familiar with some of the teams that have moved before, be it Atlanta, Quebec, Winnipeg. From your recollection, like I remember like when the Nordiques moved and the Jets moved, we kind of found out about it as that season, their final season was was playing out. And the Thrashers obviously moved right in the middle, like just before the Stanley Cup final. like, And that was like kept under wraps right until the last minute. Has there, If we know that the Coyotes, this is their last year in the, in, in Arizona, have we ever had a scenario where a franchise and its fan base knew, like in September, this is it, definitively? I, we've been pretty close once, and and I'll, I, you know, I'll go back to like the the nineties when when all of this uh, movement started happening. I don't, I don't remember exactly what happened with, for example, Colorado or the original Atlanta team, but in uh, in in the more modern era. You're right. Generally speaking, this has been something we have found out either early in the offseason, in the case of the Thrashers. Um, uh, I believe the Nordiques was the same sort of thing. I think when it was the Minnesota North Stars going to Dallas, it was finalized with a few weeks left in the regular season, which was nice because it meant that Minnesota fans at least had like that last chance to A, say goodbye to the team, and, and B, wish Norm Green all the best, uh, which they did in a very uh, – <laughs> Um, they were, they were very Colorful passionate way. about yeah. doing that. Um, Hartford to Carolina, I, I, I think was, uh, essentially the same thing. The the one comparison that feels similar to this somewhat ironically is that Jets move to Phoenix because initially there was a feeling that the Nordiques and the Jets were both going down the same path at the same time. Um, not that the, the, the two processes were directly related in any way, but in the 94-95 season, a lot of people said this is going to be it for the Nordiques and the Jets. 
Um, and the Nordiques, the the sale and the move to Colorado was all announced. Uh, it, you know, it 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 certainly felt by the end of that season like it was done. I mean, I think Nordiques fans understood that the team was gone, but didn't necessarily know where it had been finalized. That happened in the offseason. The Jets, a lot of it felt the same way. And you felt like the 94-95 season was was potentially their last. And then they get sold in the offseason, and there's talk about, oh, they're going to move. And, and at the time, it was Minnesota. It was actually, it was, it was the NHL was going to go back to Minnesota with the Jets, and that fell through. And it didn't end up happening. It, it, and and it, it took long enough to follow through that at some point, the decision was made, okay, we're going to play another year in Winnipeg. And uh, did not know where the team was going to go. I wouldn't say definitively knew that this was the last year in Winnipeg, but all the signs were pointing there. It was very clear that this new ownership group wanted to move the team. It, it didn't feel like there was a few. In fact, even in, in the summer of 95, if I'm not mistaken, there was like a goodbye Jets rally in Winnipeg. You know, they, they, they basically were um, under the impression that their team was gone. Yeah. And then it was a mild surprise that they got to stick around. And then by, I, I want to say, December, it was announced that the move was going to happen to to Phoenix. So that that was maybe the closest comparison and to, to what we're seeing in Arizona now. Because, you know, again, we don't know for sure that this team is moving. All signs seem to point that way, but we don't know where. Um, it's never done until it's done. And, and the Winnipeg example is, is part of that. I, I, I certainly can't remember something where this early in the process, they had already announced we're definitely not Moving. going to yeah. move next year. But you got to remember, like that old NHL, that was a bit of a different thing. Like you, you would, hey, you know, do you have a do you have an arena? No, we got a baseball stadium. Good enough. You can have a team and take yeah. a few years. And um, so, uh, and and I think the standards are higher. Certainly, the price tags are higher now. So the NHL wants to get it right. But uh, yeah, if uh, it's it's a little bit ironic that if you. If you're a Coyotes fan looking for some hope of all the teams you got to look back on, it might be that Jets team. You know, and it, and it's interesting too because and and Sean Gentilly has the uh, the piece out uh, for us, kind of looking at where this team could end up if they move from from Arizona. And it's the usual suspects: it's Kansas City, it's Houston. You know, people talk about Quebec City, maybe a second team in Ontario. Yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, you know, Alan Walsh, the one that is really. All of a sudden, to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I feel like two weeks ago, I never heard of like, boy, Salt Lake City really wants an NHL team. And now, like, all of a sudden in May, and this is coming from smart people, connected people in the the Elliot Friedmans and the Greg Wyshynskis mm -hmm. and the, 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 like, this isn't just coming from randos. All of a sudden, Salt Lake City seems to be near the top of the list for destinations for the Coyotes. Like, Am I wrong on this, or did this just kind of come out of left field for you too? It did. It did for me too. And and you're right. I mean, it's there's clearly smoke here because uh, this is uh, there's been a lot of reporting on this. There was, I, I guess, the owner of the Utah Jazz had like one tweet where he replied to somebody mm -hmm. who was like, you know, with like two in words, and, you know, in motion, are, yeah, in right? motion, or something. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's that that suggests that the conversations are at least being had. What was interesting to me was the framing in, in Gentilly's piece, because the, the way that he made it sound is that, look, if you're looking to move the team in the short term, this is the best option. They have an arena, they have a place to play. 
Yeah. Um, you know, there, there is the, the ownership there, you know, with, with the jazz and, and the NBA already being established. If you're looking for sort of a plug and play solution, maybe this is the best one. It's a small TV market. Um, this it's, it's not a market that really fits as far as what you would think the NHL is, is trying to do as far as growing the footprint. Now it is a Western market or at least a Western conference market. So that's good. It means you don't have to disrupt, um, a a bunch of things as far as teams around, but it's just, you know, to me, man, that feels a little bit weird, right? Because it's this Arizona situation. I mean, decades decades that we have seen the league try to make this work how many times have we written this franchise off and said okay well this is clearly the end of the story and then been told nope not not this time we're we're still committed even up to this week you know we're still getting some reports saying this thing might not be dead it feels like it's been such a long-term vision you know, some people would say a way too long-term vision in Arizona it would just seem strange to me that to get to finally the finish line and say well, let's just take the easiest, quickest answer now versus saying like, okay, if, you know, if Houston's a better market, what do we have to do in the meantime to make it work there? Or what do we have yeah. to do somewhere else versus just saying like, let's just do the quick and, you know, I mean, if you're willing to play in, in mullet arena for three years in Arizona to wait for a new arena, it, it, I mean, can, can we not be creative in the same way to make sure we get the perfect fit for this and we're not sitting there five or 10 years from now going, oh, we're in the same situation in a smaller market because we just took the easiest, fastest, uh, most convenient solution after spending 25 years refusing to do the easy, convenient, maybe common sense thing. I, I, I'd love to hear from listeners too. I don't know if we have any in Utah or if we have anyone who's familiar with that market. Like, is there a is there a passion for hockey there? Is there? I mean, the the history of the Winter Olympics, right? I mean, some of the greatest hockey ever and, and played, going back, right? Has uh, been there. Seems well, like? they're trying. Yeah, they're trying what, to get 2034 back. Twenty thirty four. I thought it was twenty thirty. Gentile's piece uh, said, you know, twenty thirty. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. At, which means, and if they do get it, then that could mean like new arenas, new facilities, and everything. So there's there's definitely some pluses there. I mean, if you're a hockey fan, whether you know it or not, you have watched some great hockey play out in 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 that in that area because of the olympics obviously 1980 and then again in uh 2002 um but you know is there a great passion I, maybe it you know there absolutely could be i'm i'm willing to be open minded on it it's just very strange that we haven't heard anything about it uh and, and i will say the other thing is it, this was already going to be real tough on fans in Quebec City because there's already a feeling that it's it's just not a realistic option. And part of the reason for that is a lot of people are just saying, look, Quebec City, we love you guys. Beautiful city. Um, you, you have an, you know, maybe to, you have an arena that uh, at least would, would be good enough to start with. But it's just it's just not a big city, man. There's not a big corporate presence. And that's what you need to be a big league. To, and I think if you're in a Quebec City and you see the Coyotes go to Houston, let's say, there's a part of you that goes, I get it. Top 10 TV market in the United States, you know, all sorts of bit. I, I, I get, we just can't compete with that. We're a small, uh, you know, we're a much smaller place. You see them go to Salt Lake City. There's definitely got to be a part of you going, hey, wait a second. You're, you're telling me we can't financially be on the same platform as those guys, but it might be where that's headed. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, it's really fat. Anyway, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, it finally feels like 
this is it. I, I know, again, it's one of those stories we, like you said, this is feels like decades of this, 30 mm-hmm. years of it. Uh, this one does feel like it's definitive. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I do feel bad. Like, and I know that they they end up being low hanging fruit, and people are like, "Oh, there's what is there like six fans in Arizona? I, there's thousands of fans there." And yeah. and I do feel for them uh, because they tried to make it work. Uh, they clearly created a you know a legacy there. Look at Austin Matthews, a great example of look at like Austin Matthews probably doesn't happen if not for he certainly a does. team there. He's and, probably in the he's probably a major league baseball player right now if the Coyotes. Aren't and, there. and 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 Matthew Nice is from that area too. No, am I right on that? Uh, oh, he may be. I don't know. Uh, anyway, but let me ask you this real quick. Um, you know, you've heard the rumblings for years. Austin Matthews to Arizona. Austin Matthews going to go to Arizona. He wants to go home. Is there any part of you, selfishly as a Leafs fan, that thinks, you know, if the Coyotes are not there, then maybe that's not a leverage play. You know what I mean? That man. I, first of all, I know bait when I see it, man. You, you, we've already got the small market Panthers fans all mad yeah. at me, fans uh, already. Uh, you know what? I've never necessarily bought into that. I, I've made some jokes about him going back to the Coyotes, but uh, I, I've never bought into that. Just because Austin Matthews, to me, if he's not going to be in Toronto, doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who wants to go play in a five thousand seat arena. Uh, he strikes me as this. I, I'm more worried about him going to the Kings in a year or gotcha. know, somewhere like that, or the Rangers or somewhere like that. That feels like it would fit his personality more, but uh, I don't know. We, we will, we will see how it goes, but you're right. I mean, if, if you're, if you're a Canadian hockey fan, especially if you're a Leaf fan and you want to look down your nose at Arizona, well, I mean, the only player to win an MVP award for the Toronto Maple Leafs in your lifetime, you can thank the Coyotes and Coyotes fans for, for that having happened. Yeah. Um, uh- I want to dive into the uh, the final four here of Carolina and Florida and Dallas and Vegas. And we'll get Jesse Granger here to help tee up some, especially the Vegas stuff, I think is is great. Um, I, I do want to ask you, though, as we um, as we sit here, and I, this is, again, this is not, it's not me trying to be a jerk and, and, and rub salt in the wound of, but we're this about dude a week swears out. one time. This guy swears. And he's just gone unlocked. completely. Like the heel turn is complete. He's just, the, you guys can't see him. He's dressed all in black. He's got like the yeah. Hollywood Hulk Hogan stubble. It's it's really, uh, boy, it's, uh, he's he's gone all the way, guys. He, uh, but I do want to ask you this. We're, we're about a week out from Toronto losing to Florida. And I think a lot of us thought, speaking of, okay, well, this is definitive. This time it feels different. Uh we felt like at, by this point, maybe there would be an announcement on Shanahan, mm-hmm. on Dubis, on Keefe. Not not on the player. Look, the core four, that's another argument that can be punted for four to six weeks or whatever. Yep. But I think a lot of us thought by here we are, like a week out, they're making this. Are you surprised that there, there hasn't been anything really on that front? I'm I'm somewhat surprised, but... I'm less surprised than I would have been a week ago if you'd told me this, because seeing the Kyle Dubas press conference where he basically said, look, I'm not going anywhere else. If I'm going to be a GM, it's going to be in Toronto, at least in the short term. Um, But I'm not sure what I want to do right now. Um, When you look at it in that context, it makes sense. I mean, look, I don't think anybody watched that press conference and thought, oh, this is a guy who needs 24 hours to make his mind up. And, um, you know, if... It, now look, right. if, if if the Maple Leafs ownership 
if the decision makers or, or Brandon Shanahan have decided that we're moving on, we don't want Kyle Dubas as a GM anymore, then you would think, yes, it, at some point, you just you make that decision. But it, it suggests to me that they're at least interested in having that conversation with him. And then you just got to wait and find out if he's if he wants to have that conversation and what it's going to look like. And then that holds up Sheldon Keefe. And um, I'm a little bit surprised that Brandon Shanahan hasn't spoken to the media yet. Uh, there, We were told... Uh, on Monday when he, for the first time in a few years, he did not address the media sitting next to Kyle Dubas. And, and yeah. we were told, yeah, it's that's coming later. We haven't heard from him yet. So, um, it, you know, you, you can maybe read a few different things into that. Um, but uh, uh, it's, it's tough. There, there's decisions that have to be made at a high level for the Leafs. And remember, that ownership group is weird, right? It's, it's, it's Bell, it's Rogers, and then it's Larry Tannenbaum sort of in the middle of them. It, it's probably tough just to get that group to decide on anything, let alone um, something as big as the future of this team. But it, it does have to happen soon. I mean, this isn't the sort of thing you can just drag your feet and wait on uh, for a long time. And uh, so hopefully within a few days, we'll know. But some of that may just be waiting on Kyle Dubas. So like I said, Jesse Granger is going to pop by here. Uh, getting set for Vegas and Dallas game one. Thursday night is is Carolina, Florida game one. I think um, this is going to be um, this is going to be an interesting Final Four, certainly a unique Final Four. Uh, Peter DeBoer, head coach of the Dallas Stars, is taking on his old team, Sean, in the mm-hmm. conference final, the Vegas Golden Knights. And then I was thinking to myself, wow, if he gets to the final, Dallas does, and the Florida Panthers are the opponent, well, there would be two teams of ex teams that he that that he used to coach. Obviously, he used to coach the Panthers about 10, 10 12 years ago. Has have we ever seen that before in the NHL where a coach faced an X team in the conference final and then another X team in the Stanley Cup final? And I know I'm just kind of throwing this at you, mm-hmm. but I thought this is unique. And 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 then the candidates would likely be like a Keenan or a Burns yeah. or a Tortorella or whatever, but I, maybe not even Ken Hitchcock. But anyway, I was thinking about this. I think Peter DeBoer. Might be the first guy to do it. Yeah, I I can't right? think of anyone else. I mean, certainly in the NHL, there's a long history of guys bouncing around and coaching a lot of different teams. Um, but you know, to to certainly to have a guy like Pete Bohr face his former team, like his immediate former team, like a team that just fired him this late into the playoffs would be rare. And then part of that is that. Obviously, to have that situation happen, you have to have two teams that have made coaching changes, and teams that make coaching changes typically aren't teams that are strong enough to to go deep into the playoffs right away. Um, so I can't think of too many examples like that, and and certainly to go back to back. I mean, you look in the other conference, right? Like Paul Maurice is uh, the the former Carolina Hurricanes coach a million years ago, but uh, yeah. it was uh, uh, he's got the experience there. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It's uh, um, you know, th- this has been, it's been a weird year when you're looking at the final four, at least as far as that feeling of, Hey, we got to stop recycling these coaches. It can't just be the same guys over and over again, getting dropped into jobs. You look at that. I mean, you've got, you got Rod Brindamore, who's only ever coached the hurricanes, but you got Paul Maurice has bounced around forever. Pete DeBoer, I, I believe as on his fifth team. Um, and yeah. then, you know, and, and then Cassidy as well is on to team number three, uh, in, in Vegas. And, and I mean, you look at Dallas, Pete DeBoer is number two in the entire 
NHL as far as active coaches for having had the most jobs. The only guy ahead of him is the guy he replaced, Rick Bonus. So uh, the Dallas Stars, if you're someone saying, hey, get some fresh eyes in there, get some fresh thoughts. Yeah. The Dallas Stars are maybe an example that it, it doesn't have to be that way. But no, I, I can't remember anyone doing this level of, you know, hitting up former teams. And, and certainly if he ends up going into the final against them, I, I can't remember ever seeing ever seeing that happen back to back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, actually, this is the perfect time, Sean. We're talking about uh, Peter DeBoer and, uh, and Vegas and Dallas. Let's bring our guy in, Jesse Granger, uh, for Granger Things, brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive uh, betting partner with The Athletic. Hey, Jesse, here's a question for you. We're just talking about DeBoer. Um, who has the advantage here? Would it be Peter DeBoer who might know the tendencies of some of his Vegas players that he coached? Or would it be the Vegas players who would maybe have a good idea of some of the tactics that DeBoer likes to deploy. Like, is there an advantage here for, for one or the other? That's a great question. Um, I've actually been kind of going around the room asking players that over the last couple of days. And they obviously have a bias that they think that they've got the advantage. But yeah, it, I've been very interested in how much of an advantage they think knowing the system is. Um, because they think they're going to have a good idea of what the Dallas Stars are going to want to do to them, um, especially the way they defend. Um, Pete DeBoer, he he runs a swarm defense where it's kind of a zone where the defensemen kind of sit back around their net, but the forwards swarm guys in the offensive zone. They're constantly trying to outnumber the opposition. Basically, the goal is force a turnover as fast as possible. We want to spend as little amount of time as possible in our defensive zone. Um, that's what Vegas did for the last three, four years. It's what the Stars do now. And the Golden Knights are obviously very familiar with how that defense works and maybe where the openings are when you do swarm. Um, I think getting around that and like actually executing to beat it is going to be a lot harder than maybe you think. But um, yeah, and then obviously Pete does have an advantage knowing these players' tendencies. He knows which defensemen maybe don't like to to bring the puck out on their backhand or don't like to send it D to D as much. So you can kind of pressure that guy. I don't know. There are going to be lots of tendencies. The one thing I will also say is that maybe the tiebreaker that might give Vegas the advantage in terms of the familiarity, because there's so much familiarity between these teams is the golden Knights also have John Stevens as their defensive coach, their assistant coach who just coached in Dallas for a few years. So he knows 
Miro Heiskanen and all these guys, just like Pete knows the tendencies of of the Golden Knights players. Um, we were talking to Cassidy about it, and he was brilliant, as he always is. And he 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 basically said it can be this can sort of fast forward the process. So in a playoff series, you obviously get to know the team really well. And by games four, five, six, whatever, you know everything the other team's trying to do. Because there's so much familiarity with the coaches and the players in the series, maybe we're like that just right from the jump from game one. And and it kind of advances that and it and it makes the chess moves by each coach and the adjustments that much more important. Um, it should be really fun to watch. I am just personally really excited for it. Like watching Pete coach for for three years here in Vegas, knowing exactly the type of tactics he runs. I've never covered a playoff series where I know exactly what both teams are doing this intimately. So it's, it, I'm, I'm excited for it. It should be a really fun series in terms of all those types of storylines. Man, we were, we were just talking about recycled coaches who keep showing up. And John Stevens, man, there, there's a name. That guy has been around forever. Okay, so just real quick then, because that was – Interesting what you were you were talking about and and how familiar you are with with this. Is there? Can you give us like a just a cliff notes of when we're watching this series? What should we watch for that would tell us? Oh, okay, the knights know what to do with with the divorce system, or the divorce system is working against the knights. I mean, obviously, who wins and loses and what the score is, but you know, is there something that if we see it happening that that should should click something in our brains to to tell us that uh, there's there's maybe a bigger picture here. Yeah. So, so like I mentioned with the stars defense, they're trying to end possession as quickly as possible. We are not spending any time in our defensive zone. We want to control the puck as much as we can. Whereas Vegas's defense is the opposite. Um, under Cassidy, they play a tight zone defense where they kind of just build a shell around the, the front of the net. And because Pete and the stars like to run their defense through or their offense, sorry, through the point. They like to get the puck low and send it up to the point and then let those guys wheel and deal and then eventually shoot and go for a high tip, um, usually with Pavelski, but they can do it with everyone. I think because the Stars run their offense from the perimeter of the zone and the Golden Knights are very content letting teams hold the puck on the perimeter and just protecting the middle, I think you're going to see a lot of play in the Golden Knights zone, which I think... If you're not paying super close attention, you can kind of think, well, man, the stars are dominating this game and the shot totals in this series are probably going to favor the stars. But I'm, I watched this when Pete was in Vegas, where the Golden Knights would dominate the possession and dominate the, the shots and lose games because the, the high danger chances weren't there. I think you're going to see similar in this series and it's going to be it's going to come down to can the Golden Knights defend the front of their net and not let those high tips from Pavelski and let those deflections, screens, all those dirty goals that come from those shots from the point, can the Golden Knights avoid those? If they can, they're going to be in probably, probably be in really good shape. And spending all that time in your defensive zone, you're hoping the team eventually makes a mistake and you can get a rush chance the other way, which is where I think the Golden Knights are probably the most dangerous team on the rush um, in the NHL. They, they convert those types of three-on-twos, two-on-ones at an insane rate. So I think that's what they're looking for. Um, another thing I would look for that I'm going to be watching that's a very specific detail in what's going to happen in the defensive zone is Pavelski likes to Rather than being low right in front of the net, he likes to kind of drift out to like the mid to high slot and look for that really, really high tip. And the Golden Knights defensemen, like I said, they protect the front. They don't stray too far from the crease. They usually stay really close to the front of the net. And Cassidy even mentioned yesterday, 
our defensemen are going to have to toe that line of maybe leaving the net a little more to get out there on Pavelski and pressure him so that he can't get those high tips, which could maybe open some spots up in the back. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's I'm, I'm going to be watching Pavelski very closely in the offensive zone and seeing how the Golden Knights defenders check him. You, you know, one of the things I'm really fascinated to watch, guys, in this Final Four is the goaltending because... You know, you, you look at Carolina, for example, like we've seen a little Freddie Anderson, right? And we've seen uh, a little Anti Ranta. And you look at, at Vegas, a great example, right? There was uh, Laurent Brossois. Now it's Aiden Hill. Sergei Bobrovsky always feels like a little bit of a wild card. And even the funny thing is, I thought Ottinger was terrific in game seven. Uh, but I was just double checking. Like, Jake Ottinger's just been kind of okay in the playoffs this year. Like, 903 save percentage, not the guy that we saw against Calgary last year. Um, you know, we talk so much, right, Jesse, about, uh, boy, you need to have a hot goalie to get deep in the playoffs. And I kind of feel like this year, the final four teams, have all, they're all kind of running counter to that. Like, its it's been a little bit of a, a roll of the dice in the crease, right? I totally agree um, this year, and, and it breaks my heart. Um, yeah, <laughs> this, 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 mm-hmm. yeah this, this year has been an anomaly for sure. I mean, you look at the first round and all the goalies that got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs, like Andre Vasilevsky, Igor Shesterkin, Ilya Sorokin, Connor Hellebuck, Linus Olmark, like all the top guys got eliminated in the first round. And it leaves you with some, some very inexperienced in most cases um, and some Bobrovsky obviously has a lot of experience, but hadn't been playing all that well um, the last couple of years. But He's stepping it up. It, and I think that's a big reason why we saw a lot of these blowout games um, in, in round two, because I think these goalies that are in can play at a high level. They're NHL goalies, and they've got to this point for a reason. They are fully capable of playing to a really high level and shutting teams down, but they're also capable of having a bad night and, and giving up six or seven. So I think that's part of the reason we saw a lot of those blowouts in, in the last round was just the inconsistency maybe of some of these goalies. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be super interesting. I think in both series, Bobrovsky was phenomenal in that last series against Toronto. Just spectacular. Like he, that to me, he is the, the, like if you're looking for who's the hot goalie that at the end of the season, we're going to say, wow, that's the guy it's Bobrovsky um, for, for Florida. If he can keep this up. Um, but Freddie Anderson's five and zero. Oh. I mean, since he came in, they, they, they started the, the playoffs with, with Ranta and he he played okay, not great. Since Freddie Anderson's come in, I think he has like a 930 save percentage. Anderson's been very solid um, behind a really good defense that's that's making his life easy. And then in the other series, Ottinger, like you said, hasn't been great, but I you just have the feeling that it's he's gonna he's gonna figure it out at some point. And that's gonna be a big factor in this series is can Aiden Hill at least come close to matching Ottinger. I don't think you expect him to outplay Jake Ottinger. That's a big ask, but can he come close? And so far, the Golden Knights goalies have done it. I mean, the first round, they were facing a Vezina winner, Connor Hellebuck, and Laurent Brassois outplayed him. Second round, they're facing a Calder finalist in Stuart Skinner, and Aiden Hill outplayed him. So they're going to have to do it again. Thank, thank you very much for reminding us of how great Sergei Borovsky was. That I really yep. enjoyed that. Um, yep. Thanks. Uh <laughs> Is he now, given that, given how great he's been and also just how great the story is of this guy that had been written off, is, is he the consummate favorite at this point? Well, so it's, that's hard for me to answer because you have to believe Florida's going to win it all in order for him to be the consummate favorite. 
Um, if like and then like so the odds actually have Matthew Kachuk as the highest Florida Panther. And that surprised me. And not only the odds, but um, in our athletic poll that we do um, before every round, when we poll the writers, Sergei Bobrovsky didn't get one vote for Con Smythe. Um, so to me, that's like, OK, well, nobody's picking the Panthers to win. But no, Matthew Kachuk got seven percent of the vote. So I'm a little surprised at both the odds and our writers having Kachuk over Bobrovsky, because like you mentioned, not only has he been probably the biggest reason that they're here, but the story, like if, if there's a tiebreaker in a con Smythe ever, like if you got two really deserving players, the story pretty much always wins out. Um, we are writers after all. We love ourselves a good, a good comeback narrative, whatever it is. And so, yes, I agree with you. I think Bobrovsky is the favorite if you've got Florida winning. Um, Obviously, they're not the favorite to win at all right now, so he's not going to be the odds-on favorite. But yes, I I love his chances. And uh, we in yesterday's show, Rob asked us like, "Is there anyone who's still left that you've got like some sentimental like that you would like to see win the cup?" For me, it's Bobrovsky. After how great of a career he's had, and and how much people have talked about his inability to perform in the playoffs when he was at his peak. Um, and some of the duds that they had in Columbus, the years that he carried them to the playoffs, um, it would be so cool to watch that guy lead a team to the cup. Yeah. And like, as we look around here to, to wrap this up, like uh, Carolina, like it feels like there's been a few teams that have kind of gotten through by committee, right? Like Carolina would be a good example. Uh, like right now, who is the clubhouse leader when we're just strictly looking at con Smythe odds for the entire league out of the final four? Who's Who's like... The is there a runaway leader or favorite right now? Not runaway, but the leader, the the player with the best odds to win the Smythe right now is going to surprise you guys because it surprised me. Wait, can Jack, we, can, can we take a oh, guess? Sure. Okay. Uh, boy, I'm going to say Jack Eichel. Nailed it. Wow, Jack really? Eichel is the favorite to wow. win the Smythe. I just wrote a big really? story on it two days or, or yesterday. What a turn of events for this player's well, career. Talk about having a story, man. Wow. The guy yeah. who the guy who couldn't win in Buffalo and and isn't so many people questioned if this guy is a winner. Um he's obviously a talented player that can score a lot of goals, but can you win with him? And here we are. It's you, we're halfway there. It's still a long way to go. Still need eight more wins, but for Jack Eichel to be the current favorite wow. to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. He's been phenomenal for the Golden Knights. I mean, he's got 14 points in 11 games. Um, he's he's third of the players remaining in points behind Rupe Hansen and Kachuk in Florida. Um, so his offense has been good. His defense has been really, really good. Bruce Cassidy is, is can't say enough good words about how how he's checked in his own end. So, um, yeah, he's he's the favorite right now. And then after him, uh, he's he's at plus 550. Second place after him is Sebastian Ajo um, at plus 600. And, and Ajo's been good. I think that kind of tells you that's a little bit more about uh, the Hurricanes are, are yeah. probably the best team remaining right now on paper. So um, he's going to be way up there. Matthew Kachuk at plus 750. And then the fourth best odds, Freddie Anderson. Like I said, he's 5-0. and He's got a 930 save percentage. Um, he's been really good for the Hurricanes. But again, that kind of tells you the odds are saying that that the Hurricanes are the best team right now, the most likely team to win. And then after that is Rupe Hintz, who is the current points leader, and he has been absolutely on fire. Um, he's at plus 900. I've been, uh, as as you mentioned that on, on Eichel, I've been scrolling through and trying to figure out the answer to the question, has a non-goalie ever won the Conn Smythe in his first playoff appearance? 
And it, it, from from scanning it, I don't think that has ever happened. We've obviously seen it with guys like Cam Ward, Ken Dryden, uh, um, Patrick Waugh, but right. non goalies, uh, I don't I don't think so. I'm going to tell you if I can have a, a long shot, and and I don't know if you have the odds ahead uh, in front of I you. There, but the guy that I picked when we did our writers pick, uh, Miro Heiskanen. I feel like he's we're we're sleeping on that candidacy. You talk about a story, you talk about a signature moment, him coming yeah. in with the busted up face and playing 30 minutes and all that. I, I feel like on a team where, with apologies to hints, it, it there hasn't been an obvious candidate. I could definitely see him. Uh, we we do love our uh, defensemen, Con Smythe winners. Yeah, he's so he's currently he has the fifteenth best odds at twenty five wow. to one. So that is a, a yeah. great long shot to look I at. Would, I, I, I would I, jump I in on. On that at twenty five to one, if I was so inclined. On on the Eichel note that you mentioned about, like it's it's because it's such a unique situation, right? Like how many times has a player this good had to wait until, like usually a player mm-hmm. this good, they have their first playoff run when they're twenty one, when they're twenty two, whatever it yep. is. To have the to to be this far into his career, this much of an established player while playing his first. Uh, playoffs is super rare so i can i can I mean, find a couple of guys who did it in second or third year including jonathan taves the year that uh, the blackhawks won the first cup but they had been in the year before i, I can't i maybe i'm missing someone but i i can't see anyone who's done it their first year but uh, you're right certainly to, to to have your first playoff appearance in your mid-20s is rare on its own yeah no hey listen jesse we're looking forward to uh, your coverage of the uh the golden knights and the stars and the uh in the conference finals. I know this has been a tough stretch for you. know, you had to go a whole year without covering a playoff team. So welcome back to the conference yeah. final. Long uh, suffering fans here. In yeah, Long suffering writer. All this attention to the Maple Leafs, but the uh, <laughs> congratulations to the Golden Knights, the franchise record playoff drought has come to an end. Good for you. Yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah. Nice to see. Four, anyway, listen. Four, co- four conference finals in six years for this team. I was looking at it the other day. The Golden Knights have more conference finals appearances than the Calgary Flames in franchise history. How is that even a, a possibly a real and, stat? And here's my question. Have they done any of those with the same coach and GM combo? I mean, <laughs> well, they have gone through. I, yeah. I think it no, may be four different point. ones. It, it definitely, you know, it's at three, least three, three or four. Ones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Three, like, wow. Three different coaches. <laughs> yeah. It's, Cassidy, Gallant, uh, and, and DeBoer. Yeah, it's. That's that's remarkable. But there's only been one writer who's been the constant. That's you. Correct. So, figure it out. Do the math, there kids. There you go. Do the math. All right. Hey, listen. Like I said, looking forward to uh, to all your coverage here coming up uh, in the in the week or so or ten days ahead. And uh, I'm hopefully we'll be able to catch you uh, again next Thursday. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, man. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
always great to, to visit with Jesse. Actually, by the way, I guess we should point this out. I know that Mike Russo, uh, they kind of plugged a chat with Jonathan Marcheseau of the Vegas Golden Knights that was supposed to run on our pod today, Sean. But I guess Jonathan Marcheseau had better things to do. Uh, yeah, no, I guess but, uh, he found out that uh, you were back and he was like, no. No, not, can't associate not happen. With, uh, with that guy. Anyway. Uh, I feel bad. I, I forgot to I, I, with Jesse. I forgot to offer him uh, after uh, seeing the the stat that I, the Vegas Golden Knights are the northernmost team left. Yeah, in the Isn't Stanley Cup playoffs. I was going to offer him some of our leftover We the North shirts from the Raptors 2019. See if we, oh, they wanted us we to ship North. some of those down. Oh. They should absolutely. Can you imagine how crazy that would drive the traditionalist if uh, you know Vegas took the mantle of the you know hockey is a northern game. We gotta we're we gotta be here the, between that and the Florida Panthers being the oldest, most established market yeah. in the playoffs. Uh, it's Don Cherry somewhere is uh, probably wait, just punching holes in the wall. Wait, hold on though. The, like the Panthers came in in ninety three, ninety four. Did Dallas not go in the year before? Like are the Dallas Stars not older than the Panthers? Or am I oh, messing you know what? That uh, no, the Panthers came in ninety two, ninety three. No, and no, I feel no, like Dallas ninety three, ninety four, ninety three, ninety four. You're right. Yeah, they they may have come in at the same time. Or when did Dallas come in? You know what? I I've, think I've, Dallas came in in ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, I think okay. Dallas came in ninety two, ninety three. All right. Well, then there you go. There you go. Any, there you any, go. No, Dallas, you know what you need to do. <laughs> can you imagine though going back ten years ago, whatever, like, and just saying. That there's going to be a final four in the NHL, and the northernmost city is Vegas. You'd mm -hmm. be like, "What are you talking that, about?" That 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 would not make sense to you on so many different levels. It would just be yeah. completely bizarre. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's kind of wild. But wait, before we open up the mailbag, too, I want to just ask you about this because we got Carolina, Florida, um, an old Southeast division, right? Everyone loves yes. the old Southeast, mm -hmm. didn't we? Oh, the Southeast. Back what a great division East. that was. Well, they get the last laugh. Again, Carolina and Florida, the Panthers, the Hurricanes, the Final Four. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go back real quick to the trade deadline. And remember what it was like in the East when it felt like everybody was – every day you would you know, wake up, either check Twitter, whatever – and be like, wow, the Devils got Timo Meyer. Holy smokes, the Rangers got Kane. They got Tarasenko. Boston was loading up. Toronto, Tampa. Everybody loaded up. Remember, Islanders got Bo Horvat. They kind of mm -hmm. kicked it all off. The two, two teams that didn't do anything, really. Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers. Now, right, for first of all, reasons, Jesse Pugliarvi is is insulted yeah, right now. He is. You would just, not count him as. He's a, not coming on this pod. No. Anytime he's he's pulling a marsh so he's not gonna That's come right. to the pod. Um what like what is it does this say anything it, like about loading up at the deadline, about the amount of attention we pay to the deadline? It's, but it's I, it's interesting, right? That it's sure teams, gonna say something at next year's deadline when every GM who can't get off his butt and make a move is gonna be yeah. pointing at this. I, I here here's what I say. Yes, you're right. It 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 might mean that uh you know maybe we put too much emphasis on it maybe it tells us something about hey you know when you bring guys in late it's tough for them to necessarily fit in or to you know although most of the guys that you mentioned played great uh i mean the boston guys were uh bertuzzi and orlov and that were some of their very best players in that loss Bo horvat not so much ryan o'reilly was good for the leafs on down the list um the one thing i would point out Florida Panthers made the biggest blockbuster of the summer last year. 
Carolina Hurricanes went out, they got Max Pacioretty, they got Brett Burns. And so I would just say next year when your GM is saying, oh, I can't, you know, I, don't, I might not do anything because look at the Panthers and Hurricanes and, and how the deadline worked last year. Let's not forget, okay, then the question is, what have you done leading up to that? You know, because, yeah. and you look at Vegas, right? Vegas has been very aggressive, uh, always going after trades, uh, even Dallas uh, to, to various extents. So, you know what? Maybe the deadline isn't the time to do it. It's certainly not the only time to do it. But if you're going to point to these teams as evidence that, you know, hey, maybe trading isn't something that should be in my toolkit, uh, no way. These are these are teams that were largely built through trades. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. And, and, and I'm happy for those two franchises, uh, particularly Carolina. It's been an interesting four or five years for them. Mm-hmm. New ownership, but like they, they, they're so engaged. It's, I'm happy to see them. <laughs> the Panthers, uh, obviously, it, they've had their own attendance issues. But to me, this is how you grow the game. Yep. Like, I, I, I know that for us in Canada, it's frustrating to not see, you know, a Canadian team in the final four. Uh, I know that, you know, sometimes we think like we would like the New Yorks or the whatever, but there's something to be said for like, we need to start embracing this stuff. Like, yeah. I, and, and it's know? okay to point out the obvious and to live in the real world and say, these matchups are not going to be great for ratings. Okay. And at the same time to say, luckily, I'm not a TV executive. so. I can, I can point to that. I can accept that reality, and I cannot really care. I can sit down and go, "This is going to be this series is going to be fun as hell, man." Carolina, Florida, these are two uh, fast teams that play, you know, to, to, to some extent similar forecheck styles and all that. It's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of fun, and yeah, not a lot of people might watch it. It compared to you know if it was New York or Toronto or whoever else. Okay, that's uh, and as you say, you want to grow the game. Now this is on the NHL to jump on this and to realize that, hey, maybe instead of promoting the same six teams over and over again, we we spread it out a little bit more. The comparison I always make is the NFL, right? You talk about small yep. markets. Hey, Peyton Manning went to Indianapolis in the draft, first overall. Very small market. So did he just vanish? Did he disappear? No, they turned Indianapolis into a big market team as far as how they were promoted. Same, I mean, look at Green Bay, the smallest market in all of pro sports, not just the NFL, anywhere, they had Brett Favre, they were a marquee team. They had Aaron Rodgers, they were a marquee team. That's that's how you should be promoting because you're promoting players and not just logos. The NHL's never learned that lesson. Maybe this year shoves them in that direction. To the mailbag we go on a Thursday. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459, but you can also send us an email. To the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Let's start off with, uh, oh, I like the Evan in Barcelona, Sean. We get oh the Spanish. Uh, you fellow uh, European world traveler here. That's right. I was uh, over there and uh, yeah, Evan in Barcelona writes in, in the era of parody, there are a lot of complaints that the regular season doesn't really matter. The playoffs uh, are way too random. So proposal for you guys. Why not shorten the regular season to something in the ballpark of 60 games and extend the playoffs to a best of nine or best of 11? Would this make a meaningful difference in series outcomes? What is the history of playoff series length? Why did they land? And on a best of seven, what's so special about that? Thanks and keep up the great work. Evan in Barcelona. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. And I I like the concept just because I like any time somebody sends us an idea that sort of breaks out of the box of, of what we just yeah. assume things have to be. 
Um, you know, would this work? Hey, it wouldn't work for the accountants. The the NHL right away with the, the NHL is a league where they make their money in the regular season, and that that's why we have the eighty two games. Uh, I think almost everyone agrees that in terms of the quality, yeah, we'd probably be better off with a seventy game season. But then you lose those twelve home dates, and and if you do it this way, yeah, the playoff does generate more revenue and what have you. But you've you've got half the teams, and there, it I, I it, it doesn't work from a financial point of view. But if you put that aside, um, it, it it would give you truer results as far as the playoffs you know you the the bigger the sample size the more likely you are to get the quote-unquote right result now a lot of fans would say we we don't need the right result we like upsets we like it when uh, you know the panthers beat the bruins that's a great story um don't make that less likely to happen and the other fans would probably take the approach that evan's taking which is man this regular season feels like it doesn't it isn't worth anything at all and and the parody is has tipped too far um It'd be interesting. I, I, you know, why a seven game series? It, that's what it's always been in in all sports. I wonder what it'd be like watching an eleven game series. I mean, you know, obviously, if one team's ahead five nothing. Man, that six game is going to feel like a grind. But uh, I wonder. I wonder if you'd get sick of watch. Would Would you get sick of a series if it was into week three and you're like, hey, tonight's game ten as they try to force a deciding game eleven, or would you just be like? Man, this is great. I guess it would depend on the matchup and and how the series was going. Yeah, it's uh, at least it would give us some new cliches, though, right? Like we get players yeah. say, "Hey, this is what you grow up dream. You dream about a game eleven. Miss, we'd, who would be the first Mister Game Eleven? That would Mister uh, Game Eleven. Yeah, yeah. Imagine um, that. And by the way, the other thing I can <laughs> say is, if we ever did this, if we ever expanded the playoffs to nine games or eleven games. Guaranteed, the Toronto Maple Leafs would win four of the first seven games of every yeah, series. 100%. They would play for the be up rest of, for the rest yeah. of our lives. They would be they would start off up four three in every yeah. series, and then and then lose all of them. Oh man! And, and by the way, you know, I you're saying that you know every sport has always done a, a best of seven. Just to take Evan's idea one step further, uh, the very first World Series that was played, and I think it was 1903, Sean, mm-hmm. uh, was Boston. And Pittsburgh, it was a best of nine. Okay, there they you did, go. The, the very first World Series was a best of nine. I think Bo- whoever won, they won in eight games. I, okay. I think it was Boston won five games to three. But the very first, you know, World Series was a best of nine. So there is precedent. There we go. Got precedent a little precedent. There. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Dan in Chicago writes in as a longtime Chicago fan. Should I feel bad about my team winning the draft lottery? I understand why other teams are mad. I don't think the Blackhawks were probably punished enough for their recent scandal, and they're not too far removed from a dynasty. As a Chicago fan, I am extremely excited, however, to watch Connor Bedard grow as a player, hopefully take this team back into contention. My question for you guys is, how bad am I supposed to feel? Are other fans just mad at us because they lost the draft and they hate online and the podcast, to me, has been over the top? Sean, how would you feel? If the Toronto Maple Leafs turned around this summer, they traded Austin Matthews, all the core players, and then next year, they landed a generational player at the top of the draft. How am I supposed to feel? That's from Dan in Chicago. I mean, to, to some extent, that's how the Leafs got Austin Matthews in the first place. Um, look, it, it's it, it, as far as how bad should you feel as a, as a Chicago fan, I mean, the, the Kyle Beach situation... It, the draft lottery shouldn't change how you feel about that. I, I know Chicago fans, many of them have had to work through some kind of complicated feelings about their loyalty to the team in the wake of, of finding out that, uh, how do they feel about those 
those that mini dynasty era team uh, legacies and all of that. Winning or losing the draft lottery doesn't doesn't change that, and that's that's sort of up to each individual fan to figure out how they want to handle that in their own mind going forward. Beyond that, you don't owe any apology to anybody. I mean, this is the NHL has the rules that they have. They have the incentives that they have. We can talk about how we don't like tanking or we don't like this or that or how there's better systems in the lottery, but this is the system that is there. And yeah, your team tanked. You won the lottery. You got Connor Bedard. And so, yeah, everyone else is, of course, everyone else is mad. I, you know, I got a secret for you. Everybody was going to be mad no matter who won. Everybody was going to find a reason to, because it's not your team. We all want Connor Bedard on our team. And if he's not on our team, then we're going to grumble about it. And same thing we did with Connor McDavid. And geez, we spent whatever it is, eight years since then, trying to come up with reasons for Connor Bedard to, or Connor McDavid rather, to get traded to some other team. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's sour grapes. Um, and no, uh, you, you do not, based on the, just the results of how some ping pong balls bounced, you do not owe any apologies or bad feelings at all. Enjoy the Connor Bedard era. Alex, uh, says, love the podcast guys. Uh, you were just talking about, uh, McDavid, uh, Sean, Alex says, love the podcast. One thing I was curious about after Edmonton was knocked out, how many players like McDavid have won the scoring title, but then got on to win the Stanley cup that same year. I looked it up. It's only happened 11 times since expansion in 1967, only three times since 1990, and only once here in the salary cap era. Only Wayne Gretzky ever had more than 140 points in a season, by the way, in which he won the cons, uh, in, in which he won the Art Ross and then won the Stanley Cup. Do you guys think we should say there is a curse? On the Art Ross Trophy, would love to get your thoughts on this. And Alex has even uh, put out the list here of players to do it. So since expansion, it's been Orr, Esposito, Lafleur, Gretzky three times, Lemieux once in '92, Marty St. Louis in '04, and then the only cap era guy to do it, Evgeny Malkin, 2009. It's it's an interesting point, and it it certainly drives home the idea that. Hockey is not a sport where one superstar uh, can win you a cup. That said, I point out that, you know, it, it it has only happened three times since 1990. Well, there's 32 teams in the league and there have been 32 Stanley Cups since 1990. So it, you would think, in theory, you got a one in 32 chance. It sounds to me like you're three times more likely to win a Stanley Cup, putting aside the expansion and all that, with the leading scorer than you would be otherwise. I mean, it's... It's a 32-team league. You're, you're not going to find any great patterns that fit that, that we can say, oh, the team that has this wins the Stanley Cup. Um, uh, I, I mean, I'd, it's, it's an interesting reminder that this stuff uh, is it's, it's far from a one-player league, but I don't know about you. I'd rather have Connor McDavid on my team and take my chances. Yeah, no, it's, but it is remarkable. Like Even if you think of Lemieux's best season ever, which, I, I mean, he almost had a 200-point season, but a lot of people would tell you that Mario's best season was the one in which he came back from, from mm -hmm. uh, the cancer in 1993. Uh, won the scoring title, and they didn't win the cup, right? Like, nope. like it, it's, it is wild that, that, that you look at some of these great seasons, McDavid this year, Lemieux in the 90s, some of the other ones, and they just couldn't quite put it over the finish line. Sure. And, in, in the uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. All right, let's wrap up with a little This Week in Hockey History, shall we? Uh, we're talking earlier with Jesse Granger about Conn Smythe uh, winners. Uh, this is an interesting one. We'll take our listeners back to the May of 19... Actually, no, you know what? Before we do that, 
we're just talking about Mario Lemieux. Let me just let me just do Lemieux here real quick. May 17th, 1991. This week in 1991, Sean, Mario Lemieux set an NHL record by scoring in his seventh consecutive playoff game. He caps it off with a brilliant goal against John Casey. Minnesota North Stars fans will remember this one. He dekes out Sean Chambers, uh, dekes out John Casey, Bob Cole with a great call. My question to you is, is that goal from Mario Lemieux against John Casey and the Stars the most beautiful, most whatever we want to call highlight reel goal ever scored by anybody in the Stanley Cup final? Yeah, you know what? That that might be number one on my list. And you combine it all. You combine, uh, you know, the including that Bob Cole call. Um, it might be. It is certainly, I would say this, and this might be controversial and people can argue with me if they want. I think that is the single greatest play in the history of sports that ended with somebody kicking someone else in the crotch um that was a really not you know Wait, the way what that else he, is even in the running well i mean i don't know that's that's up to that's up to everyone else i guess but uh that's that's <laughs> that's my pick right there that uh to finish it off with the uh you know the flying drop kick to, to john casey Man, that was a thing of beauty I, it, it's it's impossible to explain to young fans like what it was like watching mario lemieux um, especially in those days when there was so much hooking and holding and guys hanging off his back that if he ever did get the puck in open space, you were like, uh-oh, look, look out because here, uh, here we go. And, and man, that he, he absolutely carved the North Stars up on that one. Well, like, would you agree with me on this then too? Like, cause you and I are the same age. Like, you know, we, we grew up watching hockey, loving hockey, but we're just, a, we're just a slightly bit. We were a little bit too young to really, I think, absorb Gretzky's greatness in Edmonton. Like, like mm-hmm. when, when Gretzky was scoring 92 goals, we like we didn't know. We didn't like You were just know, like, all right, this is I guess five, this is whatever. what great players do in the NHL. Mario Lemieux is the greatest player I ever saw in my life. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, like, and and I'll say that like, even you know, even 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 with Gretzky, Gretzky's numbers are are phenomenal, but there has never been somebody like a lot of what Gretzky did was just being in the right place, being in, you know, making the perfect decision every time. But as far as pure skill, pure talent, pure, like bring you out of your seat, drop your job, pop your eyes, whatever you want to say. I, I've never seen anyone like Mario ever. And I can't, no. I can't even imagine seeing it again. No, exactly. Uh, and then the other one I want to bring up for this week in hockey history, take our listeners back to this week in 1976, May 16th, 1976, the Montreal Canadiens uh, kickstart their dynasty. They uh, they win their first of four consecutive Stanley Cups, 1976. They sweep the Philadelphia Flyers. Sw- four nothing. Boom, you're up. Four, four and done. And yet, when the series ends, they hand out the playoff MVP, the Consumite Trophy to Reggie Leach of the Philadelphia Flyers. Even though they got swept in the final. Yeah. Now, you look back in hindsight. Should a guy who got swept in the Stanley Cup final get the playoff MVP? I mean, you you certainly wouldn't see it today, right? I mean, this is, and it's, famously, this is the only time that a non-goalie has ever won the Conn Smythe on a losing team. So, I mean, right there, um, it's it's hard to even imagine that happening. But if it's a seven-game series, like if if the Oilers had moved on and Leandro Seidel kept doing what he had been doing, and they lose in a game seven, you know, could you imagine that, hey, maybe he he gets the the award? Maybe. I mean, 2006, there were a lot of people who said Chris Pronger should have won the Conn Smythe for dragging that Oilers team to within one game 
of of a championship to get swept in the final and win the consmite i mean that just seems completely bizarre because I mean, the consmite is the award for the playoffs it's not for the final but it kind of is for the final at least these days that's that's how it tends to be voted on and uh yeah it 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 just sounds um completely bizarre to a, a modern ear to to hear that and and Reggie Leach was great 19 goals still a record in, in 16 games even even for that era that that was absolutely phenomenal but uh I feel like it's pretty safe to say we will never see that again no and, and you know what's interesting so I looked it up so I Reggie Leach had 19 goals like you said Reggie Leach had more goals than any player on Montreal even had points mm-hmm. like Guy Lafleur led the Habs with 17 points. Reggie Leach had 19 goals, okay? So you know what? I could understand why the argument is there. That guy was the best player. But here's the thing. Ken Dryden, Sean, lost one game in the playoffs. They went 12-1. and Mm -hmm. He had a 192 goals against average and a uh, 929 save percentage, okay? Like... If you're you like those are good numbers today. Back in the mid seventies, those were phenomenal numbers. Okay, Leach in the Cup final itself, four games, four goals. Like it wasn't like he eight goals. Mm -hmm. Like four games, four goals. Like four points in the final. That's it. He didn't have an assist. Yep, and I mean Dryden's numbers in the final weren't great. Um. Obviously, they were good enough to win four straight games. But again, we're, we're clearly not basing this just on what happened in the final because it's it's hard to imagine given the award to uh, a team. Or or maybe you know what? The, maybe you flip it around. You say this is how we should be voting on it. It shouldn't. You shouldn't have to be on the winning team to be the MVP. You should be able to you know pick, yeah. pick guys for maybe even you pick someone who whose team went out in the conference finals. It's the most valuable. But that's not the way that the award has evolved. Certainly. Um, it was still early-ish back then. Um, we we won't see it again, period. No. All right. Okay, we'll leave it there. Maybe next week when we uh, connect on the Thursday edition of the podcast, maybe there'll be some an update on the Senators' sale. Maybe there'll be an update on the Leafs' front office. Uh, you know, we'll certainly have our hands full with the, the, the conference final, too. So uh, it should be a really fun week ahead in the uh, in the National Hockey League. And for us, it's a holiday. It's a long weekend in Canada, too, by the way. Um, yeah. Very and exciting. to that end, Okay, to that end, Sean, mm-hmm. the Tuesday boys, Sean Gentilly and Craig Custance, have reluctantly agreed to do the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show next week so that Julian McKenzie and I can have Victoria Day off. Wow. That, you know. How noble of them. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, there you go. So that that's a little update for you. Next, on Monday, it'll be... Uh, Gentilly and Custance, uh, I believe, doing uh, doing the pod. But we'll be back on Tuesday. You and I'll be back on Thursday. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. You can always email us any questions that you have. Like I said, the email address, it's simple. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail as well. 845-445-8459. And right now, you can get a one-year subscription with us at The Athletic for $2 a month for 12 months when you visit athletic.com slash hockey show.